Huge news, Swirlians. Massive news. Get ready because Ain't That Swell is absolutely frothing to announce Ocean and Earth as the official and exclusive hardware and accessories partner of the Swellians. Doesn't get any more core than the Sussex Inlet brand. It's been making the world's best leggies, surf hats, tie downs, repair kits, ponchos, wetty buckets, and board covers since 1979, mate. Whether it's down the road or over to Indo or into the far realms, just rinse that dot and soak yourself in core stoke. O&E has been there as part of the journey the entire way. Kicked off, of course, by Brian Cregan, uh, former touring pro who, along with Rabbit Bartholomew, Paul Nielsen, Harry Hodge and Brucey Raymond, was one of the original, iconic Band on the Run crew. Epic movie. Check it out if you haven't. But, uh, yeah, O&E was the brainchild that just allowed Brian to surf his entire life. And he has supported many of the core underground hellman heathen icons along the way. But uh, most notably in recent years, Owen and Tyler Wright, our boy Ryan Callanan, Russ Berserky Bjerky, Freddie Marais and Kanoa Igarashi, Mondo Extreme Looney Jughead Allport and Next Wave Flare Maestros Coda Walters and Lennox Smith. And if you want to get in behind an independently owned company run by surfers for surfers, now is the time to do it as we run into Chrissy. There is so much iconic stuff these guys have been making for so long. Their Surf Hats G-Land series, the Bingen series, the Indo Stiff Peak, they got board covers, coffins, and air cons, tough as guts, built to last, primo gear, and the world's best leggies, man. Like 1XT, the world's strongest leash, no joints, no weak points, 40% stronger. The one-piece leash's extruded cord design eliminates the molded end join, which is the weakest point in traditional leashes. Constructed using new production techniques, 8mm swivels, and a unique... New formula in the urethane cord. This leash is superior in strength, stretch, and memory retention. They got softboards, mate. They got the lot. Just jump on the website, oceanandearth.com.au, and get your hardware sorted for Chrissy. It's a quality-tested Australian surf accessory company. Trusted products. Independently owned and run by surfers for surfers and selling to core retailers. Man, oh man, it's just so sick that the company that sponsored the original HB O&E Pro Junior and is still back in grommets, state titles, surfing New South Wales, etc., is on board with the Swellians, and we are frothing to be back in this partnership. Oceanandearth.com.au, exclusive hardware and accessories partner of the Swellians. Get on there now. Get your Chrissy started. What? Grom's got a new board? Get your leggy from Ocean and Earth. Need a coffin to travel? Get it from O&E, man. Crusty old demon and you need a surf hat? Bruh. O&E, bruh. Ain't That Swell presents Core Lords. Today's guest is Ray Collins, the boog lord, slab shaman, turned water photographer, turned toast of the fine art world. Ray actually grew up in the Bulleye Public Housing Estate, and you know how much we love our battlers on this program. 
Well, Ray is the epitome of a battler done good. He lost his father to suicide as an eight-year-old, was raised by a single mum before graduating to the coal mines to help fund his passion for writing and photographing filthy slabs. What a king. Who's oh, the little guy amazing. on your lap? Uh, this is Schmitty. Schmitty. Yeah, Schmitty. We, uh, we rehomed her when she was two. And she's six now, and um, she's so funny, man. No way. Yeah. How's she yeah, going? How like... did she go with the, the rehousing? It can be an issue with dogs once they've spent a bit of time in the clink. Mate, <laughs> to be honest, it was just the slightest growth each day of trust. And once she learned to trust, which took years, she really came out of a shell. And uh, I still think we're getting to know her. And it's, we've had her for four years, but she's an absolute legend, mate. Oh, that's classic, man. Man, I'm so yeah. stoked to have you on the program. Uh, yeah, you're a guest I, I, I'm, I've am i been trying to get for ages. I mean, like not hassling you, but just uh, a guy I've wanted to get on for ages. Just because, mate, you're a fucking battler done good. Like you, you've you've had a hard graft start to life and, and you've cracked the code like almost no one I can think of. I saw you, you're blown up in Russia recently with your, your photography um, mate, how surreal has this journey been in, in terms of some of the accolades that you've received? Definitely surreal, man. Definitely surreal. I, I feel like, I don't know, man, you, you know what it's like kind of growing up in government housing and not seeing a lot of, uh, roads forward. So it's definitely surreal. Um, I have to disconnect from it actually, uh, because, yeah, it's just easier to process if I just compartmentalize the the art and the work and that stuff that's happened with that to like my normal life. So, yeah, it's it's a wild ride, life. Eh? It's a wild ride. You, you think it's one way, and it is for ages, and then it's not. It's something different, and then it's something different again. So, crazy man. Uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't grow up in in public housing, but I had a lot of friends that did, and you know, we were we were renting so in a slightly different scenario, but I can definitely relate to, I mean, we were terrified of the houses because uh, <laughs> it was a place where you were, you grew up surrounded by victims of circumstance, uh, a lot of criminals, a lot of people who were on their way to, to prison and, and addiction and mental health issues. Um, you know, what was your experience of the houses in, in Bulleye, right? Yeah, how's this? Like we were on a list and New South Wales is a pretty big place uh, to be on the Department of Housing, you know, waiting list. And uh, out of all the possible places and like complexes and like we, we ended up at Bulleye overlooking Sandon Point, which now like you can't get a house under five million there. And um, and I could see like, McCall is Thoreau, Ostermere, Coldale, like all the way to Bundina National Park from my bedroom window uh, that I shared with my brother. But, you know, we we're just groms and um, didn't really realize at the time just how lucky we were. But of course, looking back, it's really easy to see because we could have been, you know, way west, somewhere non coastal. And uh, um, we were, we we're in a fortunate circumstance, mum being a single mum and, and having three kids that we needed, you know, a house, not a, a unit. So anyway, circumstance put that in our lap and uh, it is something I'll always be grateful for, mate. Mate, yeah. it's so classic. And yeah, those waiting lists are precisely why we never ended up in, in public housing because I think people don't understand that 
you join the waiting list. There's waits of, you know, five to seven years and you don't get to choose where you go. And, and generally mm. the, the higher concentrations of housing commissions are, like you said, out West Campbelltown, Mount Druitt, uh, you know, up around Lake Macquarie, like West of Newey. Uh, but there were, especially in those days, like select pockets of public housing on the coast. Um, yeah. That Wollongong area or like, you know, the cold coast area, uh, Maroubra, Merriweather, uh, Bondi had a little bit, but yeah, it, it wasn't easy to, to get into one. And I guess it's interesting too, to note that like, if you do go up in public housing on the coast, your chances of not falling into those traps of addiction, crime, uh, dysfunction, they surely uh, are reduced. Like you're, you're more likely to end up in the shit if you're a poor person from a single parent home that is also housed far and away from opportunity. You know, like I look at those people out in, like they've now sold off all the public housing um, in, in the nice areas and, and rebuilt it uh, in Bumfuck. And I can't see that being a positive for social cohesion. I dread to think where I'd be if we didn't have the ocean at our doorstep, mate. I dread to think because that was my outlet. And that was my my place. Like, what, what do you do when you're bored? You hang around with your mates and go surfing. Like, you know, whatever mischief you get up to, you the beach is the backdrop to all of that. So, um, yeah, that's where all of my life lessons were pretty much learnt was in the ocean. Eh? Just, yeah, like respect and like uh, just going with the flow and, patience and all that stuff that ocean uh taught me in in absence of, of growing up without my dad so um yeah i'm real stoked to have had that uh as a constant backdrop to my life so magic man and obviously surrounded by some world-class slabs in that part of the world uh there's a right very close to there that's you know stacks up against the, the best slabs in the world um in those days, though, heavily localized, you know, like especially for, for bodyboarders, as far as I understand it, although if you're from the area, maybe it was different. But talk to us about, yeah, just, uh, you know, your introduction to bodyboarding and um, just the kinds of waves that you had access to growing up there. Um, yeah, the Illawarra or Wollongong or the Cold Coast or however you want to refer to it, it's it's got so many different options there's wedges and points and reefs and bombies and slabs and and everything you could want and um growing up in bulleye i had sand and point on my doorstep which uh is a the same as the other place you were talking about is, is heavily localized and uh being a bodyboarder as well just being at the very lowest of the totem pole um it was yeah kind of uh, i don't want to say school of hard knocks or anything but it was you, you definitely kind of just you know a maggot uh, a lid riding kind of maggot, but uh, you could you could get the crazy ones on the big east or northeast days where it wasn't so friendly for surfing, but it was like turning inside out and uh, yeah. So that was my wave that I guess I learnt to ride a bodyboard on, boogie board, whatever. Um, and the uh, other slabs around, um, yeah, like I remember being in like year ten and and ringing mates to come and surf it and <laughs> oh. So wild, so wild. It's there's a point and then there's a K out off the point. So you're kind of in the middle of the ocean. It's like a half an hour paddle or whatever. And um yeah, and 
cars were just kind of set on fire if if they didn't know who they were. And I remember having to like one of my mates, he kind of was a regulator kind of type figure out there. And and then he kind of turned due to his own uh, mental health issues at the time, but kind of turned on and, and everyone and isolated himself. And uh, and he would he would patrol the area kind of looking for <laughs> something to start or something and uh yeah it, it was a real weird relationship with with that slab actually because i don't know you, you can kind of see it from your house but it felt kind of off limits and it was just you know even getting there on a pushy or whatever was just is a big ordeal and uh you always felt like you'd done something real special when you come home from a surf from there it's like oh man i am surfed that place i'm so stoked or whatever but now yeah it's um it's on surf line and and yeah. Everyone goes there and all that stuff. So it's fucking blown to smithereens. It's as it's as packed as any any wave I know. Like uh, some of the the drone clips I've seen out there blows me away how busy it is. Because uh, growing up in Sydney, like you knew about that wave, but it had such a heavy mythology around it, and, and you knew it was pretty well off limits. Um, and also kind of didn't realize how good it was to be honest. Like uh, yeah. thought it was like. Uh, a lot less attainable for a stand-up surfer than it is. But, you know, looking at, I guess that's where surfing was at that point too in the early noughties when I was a teenager. Uh, surfing had not yet really uh, broached the slab realm. Like it was beginning to like, and yeah, those guys sure. like Dylan Longbottom and, and Mick Lowe and stuff were, uh, yeah, they had an iconic section at that wave. But uh, man, I, yeah, I can't believe, like I, I just, would love to have seen what it was like in the bad old days before fucking camera phones <laughs> and social media. Oh, it, it used to be um like a sewage treatment works too. So the shit would just spew out and you could smell it. Like it was, it was wild. It was just a different, feels like a different life or something. It um, really does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, I, and I can't ever complain about the crowds. I don't really shoot it anymore because it's kind of not my focus shooting like surfers riding waves as much, but I do surf it like, uh, and I can't ever get angry at the crowds because I'm part of the reason why there's people there. Like my first you know, half a dozen cover shots were from that place of my mates just standing in these huge barrels. So I'm sure that I accelerated the progress of it. But if I didn't, someone else would have. And uh, yeah, that's just the way life goes. Some mm -hmm. things are better before and some things are better now. And that's that's how it is. Yeah. And, and I mean, at the end of the day, it, it's one of those joints that kind of localizes itself to to a certain degree when it, if it's if it's big like you can go out there and someone's going to let you go a set like most most slabs are yeah. like that <laughs> fully yeah fully and i mean fuck speaking of going sets uh you went one i mean you've you've hacked many a set out there but you went one not that long ago that that fully like fucked you yeah fully fucked me eh? that's exactly <laughs> what happened <laughs> what happened um, there? Just, that was, that was uh, a heavy injury Oh, you know what? Like I've replayed it all and tried to just imagine if one or two things weren't what they were, it wouldn't have happened or it would have been a hundred times worse. But there's like a real big period and it hates a, it hates a big period because it just folds. Like it doesn't get taller. It just gets thicker and you can't, you can't get into them as easy. And uh, even on a bodyboard, it's really, it's really hard to get into them. And um, I think it was like a 17 second period, which is pretty rare for the East coast of Oz. And um, I was in the spot and seen like a nugget coming and started to paddle just kind of to make my intentions known to the pack that were on the bubble. And, um, and I accidentally hit someone in the face with, with my hand 
And I just went, shit, like I went to stop and apologize. And then I was just like, oh, I've got to go. Like I, I can't turn one wave back because I might not get another chance for an hour or two. Um, and so that split second that I went to apologize, um, instead of being at the bo bottom of the wave, I was then at the top and then they uh, free fell, bounced, did a cartwheel in this tube and um, got sucked over with a lip and driven chest first into the reef. And um, yeah, gosh, it was the, well, if it was my head, I'd be probably dead. If it was my back, I would be, uh, yeah, like some kind of spinal injury uh, for sure. And um, yeah, broke four ribs and the impact um, squeezed my chest so hard that it popped my lung like a balloon. And uh, yeah, I came up, seen my mate Jackson Forbes on the ski, on the shoulder looking. And uh, the fact that he's seen me, like I knew that, I was going to be okay, but I got like three more on the head and I was just listening to this noise just going, Bleh! and I was like trying to find out what it was. And it was me. It was my own just involuntary, like, I don't know, primal scream of some kind. And uh, yeah, long rehab to, to uh, a week in hospital. Um, after that, like just moving or breathing or sneezing or coughing was just absolutely fucked. And um yeah, my wife said that I was just crying, whimpering all night in my sleep and um, probably took a year, like a proper, you know, nine months to a year to be fully healed and uh, and doing the stuff again. Man, that's wild. It seems to be the most common injury uh, when it comes to these kinds of waves. I can't tell you how many people I've heard get done up with broken ribs in the last 12 months. It's insane. Fuck, and it's a dangerous injury when you consider that, you know, lungs can puncture if the ribs go in, internally. And, and once the lung punctures, you, you kind of have a time limit set on on getting to help and you know, getting some help breathing, um, depending on how bad it is. Man, that's a, that's a heavy story. Like growing up in the bodyboarding world, talk to us about some of the the icons or, or mentors or, or legends that you, you know, looked up to or, or even got mentored by. Oh, there's so many good – it's weird. Bodyboarding is not a huge community, but the people in it, they've, they're kind of um, like thought leaders or just these exceptionally creative people, and it's it's such a high concentration, such a small amount of people, and I've never been able to kind of put my finger on why. Um, but, yeah, like just in my local world, there were so many good – bodyboarders who ended up being like amazing creatives like uh like david fox dav big dav um katesy todd barnes um i can't even think of the amount of people but just even those three guys there they they are making the best surf movies right now and you know barnsey works for stab and does all of those how surfers get paid things and dav and, and harry bryant just released a new clip and a new like feature film and um yeah and that's just the tiny bit that I was that was a tiny bit of the industry that I was in constant contact with but when the visiting pros would come it'd be guys like I don't know if you know Jeff Hubbard and um who, who's now like one of my really good mates and his brother Dave the Hubbard brothers they're like you know multiple world champions and pipe champions and shark island champions and um, guys right yeah yeah from Kauai um, absolute legends. No yeah. way. 
Wow. Yeah. I did not know that. That's amazing. Yeah. Holy shit. That would be uh boog heaven on the right days. <laughs> Fuck. It, it really is. Yeah. It's beautiful. Um, yeah, I don't know. Bodyboarding, I, I don't know. It's it's a real cool like way to ride the right kind of waves. You're just on this like mat that moves with the wave and you can just get these weird sensations that uh, I'm not skilled enough to ever feel on a surfboard. Like if I get a barrel on a surfboard, all I'm thinking about is trying to get out of the barrel. But on a bodyboard, you can kind of just adjust your knees or bend your elbow and just, I don't know, mould into the shape of the wave, which is, is such a good feeling, eh? Man, it's a miraculous sport. Like I was watching a clip of Ryan Hardy at North Point a while ago and, and just watching this guy, this lanky dude, on this thin layer of foam going light speed, like dead straight on a speed line, just traveling through like an eight foot freight train cone. And I'm like, this, like for some reason, maybe it was the microdose or something, but I was like, this is <laughs> surreal. Like what a bizarre thing to come up with. Like he, he's separated from the ocean by like two inches of foam. And it's this little like kind of, it's half the size of his body. And he's just traveling through these giant wormholes. Oh man, it, it's it's a it's a strange thing, and it's a shame that like there's been this division between surfing and bodyboarding. Because in a more practical, less egoic society, you would think that guys would just pick up whatever piece of equipment best suited the conditions. And I often think like how wacky it is surfing slabs on, on sticks, even though I do it all the time, because at the end of the day, like it's just so much more difficult. You're riding this piece of glass that can shatter and fucking injure you so badly, uh, which has happened to me several times. And yeah, it's not that practical. And for years, surfers weren't even bothering with those kinds of waves because it wasn't practical. And now they've figured out a line in and board designs kind of reached a place where, you know, we can kind of scoop in under the ledge. I say we, uh, I'm not claiming to be able to do that very well, but <laughs> like, uh, yeah. So it's kind of caught up to bodyboarding in a sense, but yeah. What you say about the creative, uh, the creative streak in bodyboarding is interesting too. Cause yeah, there's a lot of guys, uh, where I grew up who were, you know, pro bodyboarders, I guess you could call them that. Like they probably weren't drawing a good wage out of it, but they're in tension and those kind of films. And what I noticed about those guys uh, they were so distinct from the the stick kind of culture in that, like, these guys were getting the fucking craziest cones. It was unbelievable. In the early noughties, it was so mind-blowing. But they had yeah. none of the humility. Uh, sorry, they had all of the humility, none of the kind of ego. And it was like, they were like, yeah, very, like, eloquent and, and ready to talk and converse and, and, and help you kind of guide you through the surfing matrix, call you into waves. Like it was like the complete opposite of uh, what the surf culture was in the city. Uh, and I guess that was because like the waves were surfing a shit and these guys have just been blown out of fucking the craziest orbs. And like, so they're relaxed. They're, 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 they're just happy to, to connect and, and, and play in the ocean. Uh, take the, the stress and seriousness out of it. And I don't know how that feeds into, um, the creative streak. Although when I think about surf films and bodyboarding films, like they give you a massive head start on culture, like the music, 
the mm-hmm. yeah the kind of the music in particular the editing the, the the cinematography all of that stuff you're watching this shit as like 10 from 10 years old on and and most kids sure. when they're 10 are, are not getting exposed to culture that's been made by adults and, and and you're not watching that shit on repeat like fuck you would wear those videos out so mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe that's where it comes from yeah, it's it's also interesting, like when you kind of mentioned like a surfer in the city riding a beach break, and then uh, a bodyboarder kind of in the middle of nowhere riding some slab out to sea. Also, that like the reasons behind why they do it. There's no industry. There was no industry in bodyboarding. Even when there was an industry, there wasn't really an industry. Like it's kind of a house of cards. Um, so you really had to want to do it, and you had all the nicknames and all the references of who you were, like you were the bottom and uh, I don't know, it takes someone to really want to do it to, to do it, I guess. So um, there's no kind of groupies or scene or anything. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. There's, there's something, there's some kind of correlation I'm sure between uh, the creativeness and the drive that people have that, that, that bodyboarded back then or bodyboard now or whatever. Um, yeah. That's, me just rambling a bit but um no it's, yeah. it's what it is it's, it's it's a really good point that the lack of hierarchy or like uh the yeah the, the kind of just being degraded all the time and that maybe <laughs> like the bodyboarders would, would would recognize that in other people too like who were you know just groms or starting out or less confident and that was maybe that was the connection like they were just there to connect with people who are kind and treating them well <laughs> could, could very well be yeah could very well be man did you travel much with with bodyboarding like uh, uh did you hit the the yeah where did you go with it um i went to like i went to indo a ton all, all through indo and um and hawaii a bit like to the north shore um and yeah just around home i guess but um no, nah, I was never like good enough to be a, one of the dudes, that's for sure. But I'll just like get barrels and and that kind of stuff. So that Indo kind of suited that. And um, yeah, you know, being a young teen or 20 in my early 20s, just going to Bali and going to the surrounding islands and stuff. It was it was um just easy and, and uh fun and you'd hang with your mates and you know, that, do that kind of stuff. So yeah, I didn't travel a whole lot uh specifically for bodyboarding. I'm just trying to think of the overlap between bodyboarding and photography because it changed uh, down the line. But, um, yeah, I still try and ride waves wherever I am. Um, but, um, yeah, not not with bodyboarding as much back in the day, I feel. Mm. Oh, it's interesting. One of the things I really love uh, about bodyboarding is the way bodyboarders have kind of reimagined pipeline, like the days that, that are bodyboarding days out there are so wild to watch. Like you just can't get into them on a stick. It's, it's so warped and wedgy and, and, and fucked up. Like, can you talk to us a bit about that wave where it applies to bodyboarding? Cause I mean, if you're a stand up, you've probably never even seen it surfed on a day like that. If, if you, unless nah. you've been there, you know, and they're doing it in the dark, they're paddling out where you can't even tell. You can just see avalanches out the sea and like you're, your bookshelf is shaking that night and you're just like, what the hell am I doing here? Uh, I think one person who's responsible for showing the world, the surfing world at large, how you can do stuff is Mike Stewart. He, he is, I don't know, Mr. Pipeline for all intents and purposes and just the lines he draws, like the scoop, like 
you see in a surfing sense, you can imagine someone taking off a chopu backhand, how they kind of slide down on their bum before they stand upright. And like he, I reckon he invented that back in the day. That That's, uh, and just showed how functional that 42 inch piece of foam could be in such uh, wild, morphing, kinetic, breathing, backwashy waves. And um, yeah. Pipeline is kind of the centerpiece for uh, for that, especially on those rogue days where you're just getting these, I don't know, the heats of north in the swell. So you're getting like closeouts at gums and guys like Jeff Hubbard, that, that's that's their launch ramp. Like he, Jeff Hubbard, he has been doing this for over two decades. And if it was anyone else in the world, we, we're just so desensitized by some of the sections he hits. Like if you've ever been to Backdoor and snorkeled there, it is like a flat, just death slab. And that's kind of his launch ramp. He lands in that, like on that flat table in huge waves. And he's done it day in, day out for over 20 seasons. And uh, that's just commendable that he's still in one piece and uh, all his bones are still connected because some of the shit that he's done is uh, absolutely wild. And, yeah, that's just one part of um bodyboarding in hawaii i guess um yeah they're just they're madmen absolute madmen madmen uh yeah when you're talking about stewart kind of inventing that line or or at least like blazing that 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 line for for surfers i'm reminded of of russ bjork's new film which i just watched last night and um yeah like amazing film and again like you know these were were slabs that were pioneered by bodyboarders uh that were in bodyboarding films like you know, almost 20 years before they popped up in, in, in surf films and watching his line in when he's got the GoPro on and just his ability to uh, essentially find a rail in the most ledged out, cupped out sections. It, it It's basically, you couldn't tell whether it was a stand-up or a bodyboarder because cause it's go, GoPro footage too. It's only when uh, you yeah. see the nose of his board that you're like, oh yeah, well, this is a stand-up. But yeah, it's so reminiscent of bodyboarding he's so good eh? he's he surfs well beyond his years like because i've been i've known him for like a, a while when he was a, like a child basically and you, you just like you kind of can't teach that stuff that was purely instinctual and like obviously he's just building and building and building and he's you know one of the best wave riders in the world but as a kid man he he just had it he had the thing like you know, like that thing that Clay Marzo has, how you kind of just, it's distinctively his and he just has this connection. And I feel like, yeah, Russ is definitely on that kind of level of just unteachable talent. Totally. I mean, he's the son of a big wave icon and he grew up in a part of the world where, yeah, like he was watching bodyboarders. He was watching them like hundreds of hours of boogers finding lines into these waves. And he's combined the two art forms like pretty much no one else. Um, Noah Dean probably being the other guy and Nate Florence, but yeah, it, it is remarkable. The, the kind of cross pollination of, of those two art forms and, and Russ, man, he's on another level, just like his confidence mm-hmm. when he commits to things is crazy. Like his self-belief, the way he backs his ability, despite, you know, sometimes not even being into waves, like he's on top of the ledge, but he'll sail off it and back himself to disconnect and, and find a rail and, and, and make pits. It's, it's, fully surreal watching that film there's there's 
this like little session that happened um, when I was at Chopu once, and I think they may have labeled it like code orange or code blue or some, some kind of code swell uh, to give you an idea of the size of it. And uh, I remember it was the sun was almost setting. Maybe he was like, I want to say he was 17 or he, he was young, a boy. He, he hadn't really made the huge profile jump. He hadn't won like Cape Salander or any of that stuff yet, I feel. And uh, I remember him trying to convince someone to please like let him tow in because everyone had stopped towing. It was it was that one where, uh, um, oh, what's her name? Uh, Kennedy. Um, uh, anyway. Everyone had stopped towing. It was wild. It was mutant. It was just these pure West kind of horseshoe closeouts. And he just got about five waves in a row uh, after speaking to Raymana, who like officially let him tow because, you know, he was worried about his child wanting to take hold of the rope. And uh, I just remember thinking like, what, what, what is allowing this to happen? Like, what would make someone want to do this? And uh, yeah, he was like, one other person who does this is Laurie Towner. It's not just, hold the rope let go and just like have no idea of what's going on but like actually surfing the wave like actually choosing good lines and like burning off speed and like uh russ has got that down pad as well and uh like i said you can't have taught that and that was his first time at chopu so like <laughs> you can't practice for chopu like you have to surf chopu to surf chopu oh, i love that insight man yeah i was gonna ask you you know who are some of the surfers uh, that you really enjoy working with back in the day when you were doing more of that stuff? Like who who were the the top guys and, and what did you really notice about their approach? Oh, um, do you know Dom Wills? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. He lives up yeah. near me. Yeah, he's a ledge. Uh, I worked with him a lot. He, he was pretty uh, fearless. Um, yeah, I feel like he kind of, wasn't he a filmer and then kind of, kind of came out of the shadow and became a surfer or something. I think so. Well, I think like he was sponsored by Hurley for a period, I believe. And, uh, you know, the sunny coast is, is stacks up to the South coast in terms of the amount of slabs and stuff. So I think he was, sure. uh, obviously always elite, but it, it, you know, probably a bit ahead of his time now that I think about it, like he yeah. was, right on the pointy end of, of doing the wildest shit. Like he, he was dead mad. Like he, I remember him trying to surf Kaima Bommy and body yeah, surfing that, yeah. huge shippies. Yeah. Well, you, sh you would have been shooting that. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was going oh, on? What do, you, what, do you, what do you remember about that session? I just, <laughs> I just thought like, cause I had seen people like Brendan Newton, bodyboarder and Shane Ackerman to like absolute maniacs in the water. And and I never thought you could surf it. And I always thought, like, if you tow it, you'd come in behind it. But I remember my friend Joe towed him at it, and he would do, a, like, a turn and just stand in these triple, quadruple-lipped, not even a wave, man, just this, like, I don't know, ice sculpture that just detonated. Uh, and he did. He wanted to do it more, and it just kind of, yeah, just so wild, eh? So, so wild. It's not a wave in that place. It's just the very very deep water with a like an underwater volcano pinnacle that into a toothbrush shaped reef so you just get these random side washes random just direction changes while you're trying to navigate a, a tube it's uh yeah it's it's a real real interesting place actually Kaima, i've never really seen another wave like it in in all of my travels in the world it's uh it's pretty unique eh? and it's yeah been a huge part of like my the base of my work i feel but um yeah 
as far as surfers go, uh, a guy I used to love working with is a guy called Eddie Blackwell. Oh yeah. Um, AKA, AKA the Predator. Iconic. He's uh yeah, he's he's a wild man, uh legend, uh very, very good surfer. And um I don't think I've ever seen him pull back on a wave in the ten plus years that I've shot with him and knowing him growing up and stuff, I don't can't recall a time I've ever seen him pull back. Even if there is no chance of making it, he will just pack it and pull in and just be <laughs> just yeah, just be the predator. I've got to get him on the pod. I've been trying, but uh, yeah, he's, <laughs> it's it's Good probably luck. unlikely. But yeah, mate, what a surfer! It's so sick to to see guys with with that bigger body type. You know, stocky, powerful, uh, just blowing the back out of it, but also manhandling thick cones. Like, yeah, it's it's the ultimate kind of Aussie battler skill set. It's sick to see Boy, that kind of surfing. Working class turns. It's like boom, fuck, mate, and. Yeah, the guy has enormous respect. Uh, any anywhere where he frequents, you know, you go to Indo and, and his mythology's there. South Coast, same, same. But um, yeah. until you've seen it, you probably won't really understand. He was always good to work with. Just a real character too. Uh, yeah, just yeah. My even my mates now, like Dill Robbo. I don't know if you know who he is. He's a real good surfer. His brother Joe. Now there's a whole crew of guys. Uh, Hoppo. He, he used to like really have this place wired and um, yeah. Gee, it seems like uh, I'm just talking about these old years. It's like it's like uh, feel nostalgic for it. It means I'm uh, getting old, you know. <laughs> it was a golden age. Like I think people need to understand that there was waves that are like as good as backdoor, pretty much. And there was a, a handful of guys that were surfing them without cameras, uh, really, like for a long time because they were paranoid of it blowing out, which it which it did. Uh, and yeah, there's just no real record apart from this verbal, like oral history of these guys Probably. doing what they did. So like, yeah, they, they definitely deserve their props. It's hard these days, eh? Like, it's just, I don't know. Oh, social media, like it's a double-edged sword just in every way. Like, but mainly for like the way we use it and the way we ingest it and the way we kind of refer to it, it's, ah, oh, it feels just so like my career, it's a, it's just an essential part of like getting my workout to people. So like I use it and, and but, I, but I really hate it. I've been talking with my wife for the last maybe six months of just getting someone just to manage it all. So I don't have to like clock in and it's, it's a, yeah, it's a lot of head noise involved with it. So big time. It's awful. Yeah. It's like, it's it's so bad for us and you do need it for your business. Like we need it for ours and mate, it, it's so detrimental. Like just simply what it can do to your sleep patterns. If you look at it within an hour of going to bed, shit like that, you know, and no, it's not yeah. written on the fucking packet when you download this app that it will, you know, or your phone that it will destroy your ability to sleep and have good mental health. If you look at it within an hour of going to bed, like that, that's fucking, that should be on the packet. The thing is when I bought the packet, it has evolved so much into something that I don't even recognize. So like, it's just, yeah, just the minds behind it who create, created it, you know, you know how it's like a, a drug or it's addictive as that kind of thing, man. It's, I don't know, it's all consuming for a lot of people. Like it's a, it's a currency and yeah. And the, the comparisons that whatever, whatever you do and whoever you are, like you're on there and questioning yourself because you're comparing your life to other people's highlight reels and 
and they're trying to impress people they don't even know and it's just like fuck what is this tornado of fucking death <laughs> maybe that's a bit extreme but uh yeah <laughs> well, maybe dep- just re- yeah depends whose feed you're in it tends to be a tornado of death on my feed also i seem to subscribe to is like hectic fucking accounts that are show war and poverty and misery and yeah it is a tornado of death but I mean, fuck, dude, you're so right. Like, we've been fully skull sucked. Uh, and it's pretty <laughs> hard to unpick yourself from it. He's just fucking got us by the back of the head, just absolutely zucking us. Do you know what I've been getting in my feed lately, which I kind of love, but it's just getting too much? There's these like rubbish compactor things. They're like these spirals with like, they just suck in anything. Like I've seen someone put a motorbike in it and like it just it just crunches anything and spits it out into little pieces on a conveyor belt. And uh it's the algorithm's got me. Like it's got me. And uh so I'm seeing a lot of that and a lot of like people like breaking glass jars with different colored liquids in it. I don't know how. And um I must have watched one once and now it's just it's all I see. So uh it could be worse. It could be the spiral of death as mentioned before. Yeah, there's plenty of that on there. Mate, so talk to us about making this transition from bodyboarding into photography. Um, like, how did those skill sets overlap? I think most, well, not most, maybe a lot of photographers, water photographers, were bodyboards. And it's because you already got most of the skills required. You got fins, you're really comfortable with fins because you need them for bodyboarding and swimming. You know the tube and the area, like because you you go on shockwaves and stuff, so you know where where to be with your camera and and um yeah, I don't know. The overlap is is pretty huge for sure, especially now with like GoPros, like everyone is uh, everyone can create that that feeling of being in the tube. Um, yeah, but for me, like photography kind of fell in my lap. I, I wasn't really trying to chase anything or do anything. Like it just I hurt my knee in the mines underground and um, bought a camera because I had to do some rehab or I couldn't drive because it was my right knee. So I was just had all this time to kill and um, bought a camera and just shot photos of my dog. And that was the start of the photography thing. And, and as my injury got better, I could start swimming again. And I asked the physio if I could um, go in the ocean. He said, yeah, just take it, take it easy. And so I bought the housing and, went out to some of the slabs and shot my mates. And that was, that was the intro to photography. It was never um, something that I devised and planned and thought up and had like a roadmap to anything. It was just shooting photos of my mates. So, Do you remember the thrill of getting your first spread or, or cover? Do you remember what that photo was? Yeah. The first shot I ever got was of my friend Dill Robbo. And I just put the camera on auto. I had no idea what I was doing. Actually, it was sport mode. It was a dude running on the dial. So I knew that it was going to do stuff. And I uh, just beat real big day out at this slab. And uh, he just pulled in, did this peace sign. And, and yeah, I remember seeing that. It was only about a couple of weeks or months after I bought my camera. So I'd kind of, it happened pretty quickly. And I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that surfing life had my I had a shot in surfing life and yeah and so the photo editor at the time was Trent Mitchell who's an amazing photographer 
And he said, oh, you can't shoot on JPEG. If this was raw, we would have given it more space in the magazine or whatever. So I was like, okay. So I just would YouTube maybe was in its infancy then. So I'd YouTube like how to um, shoot in raw and all of that. And then I think maybe the next batch of submissions I gave, I, I got a cover shot with them. And I was just like, what the hell? Like, this is wild. Um, yeah. And then it kind of just grew and I was working in the mines and every available chance I was shooting and just kept that balance for a couple of years. So classic, man. And, you know, like, um, were there sessions that really stick out or, or even waves that like, uh, certain locations that you were really drawn to, or you would like that you loved to shoot? Yeah, it was definitely, uh, it was definitely the verge in the in the beginning that was just kind of my focus because i only had one lens and it was a fish eye so i just had to get in the pit like i had to just swim in the barrel because it's the only way it was going to work and i loved it because i was in the water i was with my mates we we're all hooting and and i was i was getting barreled with them i wasn't traveling through it and coming out but i was feeling the feels so that was definitely my favorite place um uh, for for years eh? and um and then i started to inquire more about like what how other lenses work and then it, it took me to other places that's when I went back to Hawaii uh, as a photographer I guess and and yeah shot some just big clean beautiful afternoon pipeline with, with no one kind of on these waves and I was just like wow but looking back on my early work the person the surfer the bodyboarder was always like like silhouetted or just a small part of the photo where the wave kind of gave it scale and maybe the wave was the star of the show. And, and I never picked, picked up on that until, um, yeah, a couple of years later when I entered this uh, photo competition called follow the light in, in States. And, and I think maybe Pete Tarras said that like the waves are the stars and the, and the surfers are just completing the, the picture kind of thing. And yeah, so I guess I was always drawn to just the waves themselves and, um, just the, they don't date, they don't age, they don't change sponsors or change haircuts or, you know, like they are timeless and um, and stuff that I shot 15 years ago still feels relevant because it's the ocean and it's uh, just the, you know, the infinite expanse of Pacific that just has all these different faces and feelings and moods. So, yeah. Oh, I love that, man. I love that. And, and what's the perspective like? when you're you know basically bobbing uh in the bowels of a six to ten foot barrel versus being on the other end like on the piece of equipment because you've been on both sides of 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 that equation yeah can you describe the experience like what it looks like or uh, how that experience relates to actually surfing the wave i reckon you're in like you're in less danger generally but you have so much more of your brain firing because what you're look what you're doing is like you're just making sure if you're surfing a wave, you're in the takeoff zone or you're in the channel, kind of with a crazy barrel in between. But when you're shooting, like you could be anywhere along there. So you got to make sure you're not on your on the edge of the reef. Your peripherals all messed up because you're looking through uh, a lens which might be like really zoomed in. So you've got to kind of almost just have just a a big understanding of what's happening and most of the time it works out but 
often it doesn't and you're on this thin line of like order and chaos and you're getting fucking flipped around and just kind of smashed with this heavy brick of a thing in your hands which is you know just not that nice to get hit by um yeah so like just being around breaking waves uh is just one of the best no, no matter what you're doing or what you're writing or it's just one of the best places you can be it, it's a feeling that i reckon we shouldn't even be feeling like we're it's like i don't know we're real lucky if we surf if we're ocean going people we're really really lucky to experience that because 99 of the public has no idea what we're talking about <laughs> Bully man, I often think like, what would God think if he was looking down on us? Like watching some kid from Campbelltown, you know, driving to the South coast and he's hatchback. He, he sits on the rocks, huffs a few dried plants through some plastic <laughs> bottle and then goes out and just like starts chucking himself in, into these orbs and getting spat out. Like God would be like going, what are they doing? Like I didn't, I didn't invent them for this. How did they figure this out? The smart cunts. And it's not even, it's kind of pointless. Like we're not getting food. We're not like reproducing. We're just doing circles around a slab. It's like, what, what are you doing? It's it's purely play, but uh, yeah, it's it's a bizarre concept, eh? It's such a bizarre concept where we've tapped an oceanic realm that we're, we're not amphibious. We're not built for that realm, uh, but we've kind of cottoned on to what dolphins do. And there's no doubt that you get so charged up from whatever happens uh, in in the cone zone, it charges your crystals big time. It's undeniable. Hundred percent, man. Hundred percent. Absolute magic. Um, yeah. So you you mentioned working in the mines, like oh, actually, before I go to that, like talking about yeah, the mishaps, like fuck, man. Like I remember working uh, back in the early days, working at Stab, and we get a lot of Scott Eichner's photos, and um, oh yeah you know, another bodyboarder. And, and I remember just looking at these photos that would come across the desk and being like, how, how's he, how is he in that position? Like he was seemingly in the roof of like six to eight foot slabs at back door. And I remember interviewing him and, and he was like, yeah, like every now and then you get it slightly wrong and you just go fucking dead first over the falls of your housing. Uh, like, have, have you been done up or had any like uh, stitch ups like that? Yeah, for sure. But the the level that he was on, he he's like he's something else. Him him and Daniel Russo and Chris Van Lennart, like they like they they're like in twelve foot pipe barrels, like under the rail of the surfer in the tube. Like I I I am not that guy. That's not me. That but they I don't even I couldn't even imagine the forces they felt swimming under and just feeling that lip explode on their fins and just yeah, they're absolutely mental um yeah but i've had the common if you shoot around the ocean long enough and you're in big waves or whatever you, you're gonna you know pay some kind of price so um the way i look at it like i don't know if you can see my head there but i've just been sort of oh like yeah five stitches there yeah, like a big big claw here like like 20 yep. staples just Fuck. just just getting bashed around eh? it's, it's yeah part of it but uh i like to look at it as like a a bank account that i have all this savings of good memories and good times and good feelings with my friends and victorious barrels. And then like, you just got to pay tax on that sometimes. And, and that's part of the the thing that we do. Oh, well said. Yeah. That's a, a good summary. And, and yeah, you talk about working in the mines, like that's something you've done pretty much your whole career until recently. And uh, you know, 
obviously coal's kind of run its course. It was incredibly useful for humanity to get us to a certain point, And now we've got to transition off it. But at the same time, like coal miners in my mind have been on the, the forefront of many amazing crusades for workers rights for kind of just dignity for working class and, and, and poor people. Um, so there's plenty of good that's come from that culture and that industry, but what's it like when you're down there in the shaft, man, like talk us through fucking <laughs> working as a coal miner for a gig. It seems like, like a job from a hundred years ago and it kind of is. It is. Yeah, it is. A lot hasn't, a lot's changed in a hundred years, but a lot hasn't. Mind you, like I, I haven't done it for it must be 10 years or something now. Um, and I did it for about 10 years. So, but like you, you go into a hole and you go a kilometre down and then you go 30 kilometres through a series of tunnels and you work and you do just heavy manual work. The machines do a lot of the stuff for you, but they're always breaking down and and they can't get in certain spots. So you've got to get in these spots. And I don't know, it's it's pretty gnarly, eh? It's when you think about it, you know how we're talking about surfing, how like you just see this weird pattern of like enjoyment. This is like you think... Like you imagine a cross cut, like a layer, and you're just this little tiny little ant with all of this earth above you, and uh, that would kind of spin me out sometimes. Um, yeah, dark, dusty, dangerous, and uh, just real dirty. You're just constantly just breathing in dust and dirt, and uh, I don't miss it, that's for sure. And uh, I've got heaps of mates still there, obviously, and I'd probably be still there if this on uh this happy accident didn't happen you know so um yeah most of the guys i surf with are all shift workers on in the mines and whatnot so um yeah it's still happening and uh it is in its on the timeline of it it's definitely in the the last stages of the technology and um and what we how we transition and stuff is is pretty apparent now so mm. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's such an interesting comparison with ants. I was just tripping on that. Like, it is so weird. We're such a strange species because we're not that much bigger than ants when you kind of zoom out and look at the planet. And there we are, like, carving out this little fucking black bit of crust or dust to, that powers our entire planet and everything and allows us to then, like, I mean, from a surface point of view, we, we get this little bit of crust and it, it, it kind of gets pumped into uh you know various forms of technology and travel and we use that dust to power us to go over to these slabs and and charge up in them and yeah it's a mate i don't know i don't know what i'm getting at there but it, it, fuck the, the the idea of like all these little ants a kilometer 30 kilometers fucking under the the earth toiling away to to power our society is is it's not something i've really thought about a whole lot but when you put it like that yeah, I mean, do we have do we have meaning? What what's the meaning of all this? What why are we why are we doing? Why are we riding sleds? Why are we going in tunnels and digging collar? What 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 are we here for? Exactly. Well, I think the Buddhists say that we're all we all want the same things out of life, which is essentially like everyone wants to feel happy and uh, like happy and joy, kind of. I think um, so. So it's like how best to achieve those ends. I mean. Uh, surfing can be used as a vehicle to achieve that coal mining 
in an indirect way. Like it, yeah. it does give us the the energy, funds. To, yeah, the, the the energy and the funds to supply our adventures. But I mean, the Buddhists also say that, like, you know, rather than going thirty uh, k's underground to to carve shit out, may as well just go there and meditate. Like, sit in that, sit down there, and <laughs> in a robe. Yeah. And uh, drink some water and just focus on your breath, and, and you'll you'll kind of not need any of the the above listed. But fuck that, like you know, I still want to get pitted occasionally. It's funny, like it's I've been like wondering like what what to do and and how to like just find fulfillment because like I like my the photography business it just ticks over. It, I don't have to really do much. Um, it affords my wife and I like a great lifestyle and whatever but there's one thing she always said to me it was like oh you need you need structure and accountability and, and I was like oh, I just didn't really understand that because like it's just like yeah whatever I'm sitting on shoot photos and hang with my mates and drink coffee but uh the last two years I've been lifeguarding and uh it's and I'm responsible to someone like I have to be somewhere where I say I'm going to be and so I'm accountable and I, and I have a roster and and I'm servicing like I'm a public servant for my local community and it's like oh this is like I get it this is like a little insight to like so anyway I think that's a bit of a tangent but I feel like that is a step towards a just other incorporating other things into a such a selfish existence totally man like they say structure is freedom uh and it's so true and when you like when you lose your purpose in life like even if that purpose is is seemingly like torturous, like purpose means that like you have to do it, whether you want to or not, you got to do this thing. And, and that purpose is powerful. Having no purpose is, is fucking awful. Like uh, I don't begrudge people, you know, when you succeed a lot of the time, you can end up losing the purpose and drive because you don't have to go out and do the thing anymore. Mate, comfortable. I, I fully get it. Eh? Like, I don't even feel like a photographer most of the time. I don't, I feel so disconnected from the stuff I've done and the things that I've achieved. Like, it's like, it's not even, it's not even me. Like I, I don't know. I just feel, yeah. Like I'm just bouncing around with no real direction. And, uh, and I know that this comes and goes, it used to freak me out. Like I, I, cause I, I go crazy on shooting photos. I'll shoot photos every single day for, three months now like i'll be there at sunrise i'll be there at sunset just with this drive this creativity and then like i don't even look at my camera don't even pick it up don't touch it and uh for months as well and then i'll go through an editing phase where like i don't necessarily i'm not there shooting every day but i I get the product that i have shot in the past and i can go and i'm in the right headspace to just just dive into it and play around and just enjoy it and um yeah, it's it's a weird thing trying to be self-propelling and creative and motivated all the time, and uh, mm. and I feel like yeah, just doing you know lifeguarding, and I actually just got accepted in the uh, the local fireys as well, so that I'm oh, looking true. forward to that. Oh, that's massive! Yeah. yeah, right. Congrats, man. That's that's mental. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, the the photo stuff always ticks over, and I love it, and it's like it's it's me like it's actually i'm woven into these photos and stepping back from it is so relieving sometimes and almost like 
putting a different like hat on necessarily like kind of thing like just with the lifeguarding and the, and the fireys and stuff it's like oh i can be these other things too i don't have to just be this thing that ends up i, I can't kind of escape from so anyway i think i am rambling about it but uh this is life man you just learn yeah. and and go through seasons and try and just have more experience and give back and whatever else totally yeah uh i mean yeah, just that that search for meaning. I think that isn't that a book by that Solzhenitsyn dude, like the, the man's search for meaning. I think it's like yeah, an iconic book. But it seems to be that anything that really engrosses you, you know, anything that like really sucks your attention in and 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 keeps you locked into the present moment, like you got to everyone has to find what that thing is in life. Without that thing, you're lost. You you start to ruminate. And ruminating is a cancer. Like, you know, you think it, like Huberman, Andrew Huberman was saying the other day, like the moment you're not in the present moment, the moment you're thinking of in in the future or the past, you're kind of losing. Like, so yeah, like water photography in particular, like it's similar to, to big wave surfing. I was just chatting to um, Jughead yesterday and, you know, he he had a very similar kind of upbringing to you, like, um, you know, poor, like single mom, essentially, and, and surfing big waves and, and slabs really like locked him into the present moment because you got no Boy. choice. If you don't pay attention, Boy. you get fucking lit up. So um, that was like his escape. And it doesn't have to be something as as extreme as that though. It, it can it can be finger painting, like whatever. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it is that kind of man's search for meaning. It, it's a good question. Man, like talk to us um, um like before we... And this, I definitely have to get into the art side of things, but mental health, man, like talk to us about your relationship with mental health and, and finding meaning. I mean, I, you know, I know that you had a, a really difficult start to life. Like your old man um, took his own life when, when you were at, like a kid, like eight years or 10 years old or something. So like what kind of an imprint did that leave on you? And, and you know, what has your relationship been to mental health over the ensuing years? Hmm. Well, as a 41 year old, like I look back at that time now and it just feels kind of surreal. Uh, my mum did the very best she could with the tools and the resources that she had. Um, but yeah, like that stuff and like heaps of other stuff growing up like that, that will catch up with you. And so, yeah, I started seeing a psychologist probably more ages ago now, probably just when my photo work kind of took off. I, I started seeing her to help navigate just the shit that was happening and uh, and it kind of, she was more, her practice kind of focuses on the inner child and like, um, and it was real helpful. And I, I, I seen her sometimes really intensively, sometimes a few times a week and then sometimes once every two months, just however, uh, however I, I was feeling and whatever I needed. So she was um, like huge and just helped me, you know, like, cause you, we just all, all of us are walking around with this closed room on top of our shoulders with a ball just banging around and wet, but sitting with someone who is independent, uh, trained and able to assist uh, you uh, navigate get you getting your thoughts out and hearing another opinion on them it's just so 
critical to understanding ourselves and dropping our own narrative. Like, because I would have these really unhealthy kind of uh, patterns or I would just, um, yeah, like almost like this kind of passenger that's with you that's narrating this stuff and it's just like you're not kind of good enough and just, you know, whatever. We all, we all have these things. But being able to learn about that and replace it with like a lot more kind, um, a, a lot more of a kind voice and one of the best things that I learned for my own mental health was uh, imagining a friend, not 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 uh, like a partner or um, a family member, but just like a really good friend and imagine them having these problems and what you would say to them. And it's like it just flipped the script on myself, like saying having this narration of like whatever the problem is, just this constant loop of uh I don't know, patterns of thoughts or whatever, but um, directing that to your mate, you would never talk to him like that. You would never say these things that, that you, you know, you're not good enough or like the whatever. I hope I'm making sense here because I'm Absolutely. just, this is just spilling out. Um, that, that positional change really helped, uh, um, yeah, just being more kind in my own head. Um yeah, so like working with her, um, I was taking medication as well for a couple of years, which I stopped about maybe five years ago. Just a combination, you know, exercise, food, um, just getting good patterns and not relying on motivation, but relying on like discipline mm. because, you know, your motivation comes and goes so quickly and Holy you don't want to get out of bed some days. So but just showing up and, and doing the work, um, it's pretty huge. And it, you never arrive. You, you never, you never just get to this place where. I mean, most people don't. I'm sure people do just uh, complete oneness and and you know being with all things. But uh, you, you never get anywhere. It's not until you look back and then you go, shit, I've come through some shit. And uh, and that, yeah. When you stop and reflect, and uh, yeah, oh, that's that's priceless, man. That is such salient advice and. I don't think anyone does arrive. I don't. I, I've never. I've never heard of, uh, of people arriving. Like I've never read that in any books. Like it, it is a daily practice. And I love what you said about discipline um, instead of motivation. And that kind of comes back to that. That structure gives you freedom because when there's people depending on you, whether it's a football team or a men's group or like or a lifeguarding gig or a fireman gig, like you have to be there at a certain time like so it, it forces discipline but when you don't have that structure then yeah you, you're just relying on yourself on your own motivation that, that that's all that's almost like an unwinnable battle like because like you said motivation it, it, it has like you know peaks and troughs fully yeah fully man man yeah, talk all- to us about the art side of things like like i said it's been surreal to watch watch where your work has gone it's gone across the world it's won i don't know how many awards and there's also like no real way i could do any justice to your 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 water photography with words like it's it's not something that lends itself in my vocabulary like it's fully in that realm of the sublime 
where it can only really be understood through saying it, but maybe you can explain a bit about what it is you actually do. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, sit in the ocean and, uh, and wait. (laughs) That's, that's what I do. I, uh, I kind of look at a weather map and, and the tide and the position of the sun and, and, um, and I make a choice on what lens to use and I, and I wait, I just wait for a moment to present itself and I try not to force a preconceived idea into what I want to come away with. I just, yeah, just sit and wait. And um, a lot of the times historically good things have, have happened and can happen in that, in that little moment. Uh, um. I don't know. I've heard my work referred to as heaps of different things. Um, but for me, like I like to try and freeze a moment, usually a moment before a moment, like a feeling of anticipation of it can be so simple. It can just be a, a triangle of water. And, uh, and to say that is literally what it is, but I feel like when you see it, it, it maybe conveys a bit more, uh, yeah, then I can do. But um, yeah, I'll just take photos of waves, mate. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's, 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 it's man. What it is like listening to you talk about it. It's kind of making more sense in my mind. Like you're capturing the physical manifestation of of energy, and totally. like it somehow passes into you when you're looking at that because it's familiar enough. Like it's, it looks kind of like from another planet, but, but you've seen stuff like it. Like, you know, if you've ever looked at a wave or the ocean, like you can relate to it, but yeah, like you're creating these like explosions of molecules and hydrogen in particular shapes, this kind of wonder of this beautiful planet that we're on. And there's something in that. I don't know. Like, again, we're a fucking weird species. The fact that ants have, realize that they can capture these moments of, of nature and, and energy coalescing around a rock slab um, is trippy. Like we shouldn't really be able to do that. I agree. It, there are moments you, you, you would miss, you'd definitely miss them. And uh, to freeze them is, is like, I feel honored to be able to do it. And most people that buy my work, most of my clients, most of my customers, they're landlocked. They're in the middle of America. They're in Germany. They're like in, you know, all around the world. But most of them are landlocked, which is bizarre because what are they getting out of it? At least as a surfer, you know, I can imagine that because I've paddled over a wave and looked at something like that before. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, that's right. That makes it even better, the fact that it's landlocked people. Like, it makes more sense to me, yeah, because for exactly what you just said, like, they're they're connecting with energy. They they get a buzz, like a a buzz from that, a connection to that energy that they – that's so foreign to them. They can't connect with that like we can. Mm, Yeah. It's bizarre, eh? It's it's real bizarre. I can find, like, beauty in a one-inch ripple – or, or a twenty foot slab, and they behave the same way. It, it's it's real cool to watch and compare photos that are like so similar, but just the scale is just so different. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's weird. It's real weird. Like, uh, 
and it's just it just grows in my understanding and what I think I know and it's just all nothing because I just try and reset every time and uh and try not to force it and just see what what comes to me I'm like kind of like fishing or something you know yeah and, and one thing all these things have in common whether it's fishing whether it's shooting surfers or bodyboarders at slabs or chasing the kind of conditions you're chasing like it it, it all comes back to this deep understanding of weather um energy nature like bottom contours like and i guess it's interesting you know body bodyboarders dominate the the water photography and film game and you were a part of that and now you've like taken that skill set it seems to me and, and kind of applied it to just a different a different but equally valid aspect of the aquatic environment like you're no longer shooting surfers in in slabs you're you're shooting these like bizarre explosions of energy that create these wild shapes but it's the same thing yeah yeah it's just a different way of looking at it eh? the the less the the more i strip away the more is shown the the yeah the more i simplify things the more detail i see it's yeah, i'm still not aware of exactly what's going on to be honest uh but it's actually talking with you now it's got me real excited to create and and i haven't felt that for several months so it's pretty cool like it's like i'm kind of tapping back into this thing or this this uh these old feelings that i know i've just been so detached from i feel like they're kind of welling up again so uh yeah, that's real cool, man. <laughs> thank you. Man. Oh, thank you. I I got the same the same feeling when you're talking about psychologists uh, and that independent kind of yeah. I'm, I'm going to call one up as soon as this interview ends, so uh, it goes both ways, brother. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome, man. And um, mate, before I leave you, like one of the the rad things that you're a part of is this kind of body surfing underground, um, and like just very like. One of the funniest, best surf films on the internet that I recommend everyone watch is uh, called Body Surfing, the movie. You, you know, how good is that? How good is the soundtrack of that as well? Oh Are they making those songs themselves? I feel like they. I think so, man. Some of them, I, I, I reckon that's so good. I mate, just put that on in the background sometimes. It's the fucking best piss take you've ever seen, but it's 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 like the surfing the the vision is so valid these guys are getting so tubed and taking the piss at the same time it's like the epitome of that dolphin mindset like these guys have cracked it and i, yeah. I think they're just packing like huge closeouts at like it looks like surfers paradise and shit oh know, yeah 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 fucking the classical like straight hand body womp but yeah talk to us about uh about this art form and what you get out of that How's, you know, it's funny. Um, I, cause I have spoken to you about this in the past. We, we did an interview a couple of years ago now and I was smoking so much weed at the time. And when I reread the interview that we did, I think maybe for stab about body surfing. And I was just like, Whoa, I kind of didn't recognize the words that were coming out of my mouth at the time. But I think, yeah, I was either whacked that day or, uh, and for a considerable amount of time before and after, but uh, my feelings still feel the same. I'm just uh, a bit more grounded on the earth now. Um, oh, bro, the... don't be so hard on yourself. I, I thought the opposite. Like when you were talking about it, it was as though like you were the living embodiment of what you were talking about, which is that, you know, when you body surf, you're, you're riding a, a storm created uh, sorry, you know, swell created by a storm thousands of kilometers away with no board and 
nothing and all that energy just passes straight into you. There's, there's, there's no, nothing in between you and that energy and that yeah. energy. When I was talking to you, I'm like, it's in it. Like I can see yeah. it. Like he's proof of concept precisely. And yeah, I was, I was like, it got me psyched on body surfing um, because for that very reason, like that's essentially what we're trying to do in the ocean is just charge up. Like let that energy pass Boy. through to us. Like the, the the famous quote from Mark Healy uh, talking about that, that thundercloud swell, you know, like the, the, that energy, energy never dissipates. It lives on inside of the person who, who it transfers into and surfing well, is that, a great way to absorb that. Energy. That's what, that's what Stoke is. Stoke is that Stoke is taking that energy out of the ocean and, and walking around with it afterwards. Yeah. Um, but like, I guess referring back to that interview, like I, I get like fully bullied like online and stuff and it's real bizarre. So I have just pulled back from like, just kind of, I don't know, just saying how I truly feel about a lot of things, which is, kind of real shit but uh i think i'm over that i think i've progressed through that now but uh that was at a time where it was kind of happening a fair bit so uh oh, that's fucked. yeah but uh it is it's this it's your skin your skin is <laughs> the barrier between the wave and uh and the energy man it's it i body surf almost every single day like that is the connection i have like surfing comes and goes with how i feel and how the waves are uh, so does bodyboarding, so does photography, but body surfing is never fails, whether it's one foot, it's always overhead. Like it is the, <laughs> it is the, it is the, the key for my ocean connectiveness, body surfing. It's number one for me. If I had to just ride waves, if I was on an island, all I would ask for is swim pins and, and I would just body surf. That's, that would be me for sure. The best way, best way to enjoy the waves. So sick, man. And you've also packed like i think people would be surprised if they go and have a look on your instagram like you've packed some psycho slabs uh down at, like around shell harbor and um elsewhere but like i don't think like i mean people have probably seen mark cunningham at, at pipeline and, and mike stewart at pipeline um getting really barreled or like you know these mental kind of foam ball rides but i don't know if people have probably seen what can be done on some of these like really iconic Australian slabs. Um, yeah. Like, I mean, what happened? Like it looks, the photo looks so crazy. It looks like, like you're in incredible peril, but I mean, same with bodyboarding, I guess you can like, you can dip out and, and kind of punch through the back fairly safely. I don't know. Like what's going on in those situations. I reckon like you just don't want one that's like too wally. If it looks kind of like it's got more of a suck back, they're the ones. And uh, gee, it's a good feeling. But yeah, you're on a rock shelf and you can kind of, it's sweet getting caught inside and all that, obviously. But when you are in the tube, like it's kind of hard to duck out a lot of the times. Um, yeah, it's, well, it's like, Cape Salander. Have you seen the guys that do that? And I think the original guys that surfed there. Bikers Hole. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, it's so good. People wait. often don't know that. That Like, like you know, Oki used to sit on the rocks just watching body surfers pack slabs out there and, and, and they believed it was unsurfable for years. And that's zero social media. That's zero, like, chest beating, like, alpha vibes. Like, yeah, it's, it's so good. You know what? Even when it's really small, I like to just – go straight on a whitewash and just see how far and just 
you feel the change in like uh like the sandbank drops off so you feel the waves slow and you have to get more like streamlined until you reach the next bank i don't know it's it's a full-on puzzle though and it, and it's so good in all conditions and just such a good way to reset and get your heart rate up and and tap into the ocean it's it's the best it's the very best and and we get paid to train as lifeguards so like um yeah getting to do it more than ever which is real good oh that's magic man and, and that's a good place to leave it thank you so much time uh, for your time ray and uh yeah man looks like you you're on a you're on a good wicket at the moment you've you've got you've collected your thoughts and um yeah it, it seems like you you got the structure and yeah everything's going well it's a process isn't it and uh just try and uh keep adding the the things that you know will benefit you eh? and and just pushing through when life's not going so good for whatever reason and i think um yeah we're all in this together this this life thing and we're all incredibly lucky to to be here so yeah real good chatting with you mate and uh thanks for stoking me up to shoot photos again i'm, I'm really amped oh so stoked to hear that bro thank you so much speak to you soon Thanks, Ledge. Bye. See you, brother. Bye.